Hello and welcome to the African Tech Roundup, episode 78 for the week ending Monday, October 10th, 2016. This is where we round up the week's most important tech, digital and innovation news from across the African continent. My name is Andy Lemasubu. Thank you for listening in. Today's show is chock full of goodness. Uh, a little later on, I'll be joined by digital video content creator and streaming evangelist Julian Von Plato to chat about VOD trends and the adoption of streaming technology on the continent. And I'll also be catching up with TechCabal.com's editor-in-chief, Bankole Oloafemi, uh, to chat about MTN's ongoing run-ins with the Nigerian Communications Commission. Now, that's all coming up after I serve up all the week's biggest stories, which include internet access being blocked in Ethiopia in an effort to quell anti-government protests, MTN Nigeria rethinking its planned acquisition of VisaPhone, and Google making a huge splash in the high-end smartphone market. That's all ahead, but first, in our sponsor segment this week, we'd like to remind you of all the convenient ways you can access all the content we produce here at the African Tech Roundup, namely the weekly African Tech Roundup podcast, which of course you're listening to right now, uh, the African Tech Conversation series, which features in-depth chats with leading figures from Africa's tech and innovation scene, and, of course, the Quick Chat series, which uh, features brief and some not-so-brief exchanges we have with tech pros currently working in the trenches of Africa's tech industry. You'll find all this content at africantechroundup.com, as well as on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and any other good podcatcher out there when you search for African Tech Roundup or African Tech Conversations. Also, do yourself a favor and sign up for our weekly newsletter to have all the latest podcasts sent straight to your inbox. And with all that said, it's on to this week's news. First up, Australian-listed Frontier Venture Fund has indicated in its prospectus that it's set to increase its equity shareholding in the leading Moroccan online automotive website, Motur.ma. Now, sometime this month, Frontier is expected to exercise its call option to increase its interest in the online platform, as well as acquire vendor shares to grow its shareholding to 49%. It said that the funding will be used to consolidate Motor's leadership position in Morocco. Currently, the platform claims to be Morocco's leading automotive portal. And of course, it's a reasonably large and lucrative market estimated at 33 million people. And so this is no doubt an affirmation of the work they're doing in that part of the continent. Now to Kenya next, where the Communications Authority of Kenya, the CA, is celebrating what they believe to be the fruits of their decision to award mobile virtual network operator licenses to three players, namely MobilePay, FinServe Africa, and Zion Cell Kenya back in 2014. Now, the CA has recently reported uh, some impressive figures that include mobile money subscribers in Kenya now exceeding 26.3 million people and mobile money transfer agents now numbering 158,727. Now, that translates to roughly 90% mobile penetration. Now get this, a whopping 227.3 million mobile commerce transactions have been made, translating to the cost of goods and services valued at over 4 billion US dollars being purchased and well over $4 billion of person-to-person money transfers being recorded since 2014. Now, it's hard to see this as anything but a runaway success for Kenya, and it certainly helps to cement the country's reputation as a world leader in mobile adoption as well as fintech innovation. But staying with East African news, though, South African fintech startup Peach Payment has announced its plans to expand into three new African countries, including Kenya. The other two countries it plans to roll out to are Nigeria and Namibia. Now, the company is said to be processing over $72 million annually in South Africa by offering business businesses, uh, mostly SMEs at this point, a way to receive payments across platforms such as websites and mobile apps, allowing customers to use payment methods like debit cards, bank transfers, as well as mobile wallets. Now, this all-inclusive approach definitely does a lot to help local businesses who might otherwise not be able to process online payments. Now, with over 200 South African online merchants using Peach Payment so far, including the likes of Zando, Spree, and Safari Now, uh, the company says that its track record is starting to attract international merchants, and they have their sights set on replicating the success they've so far enjoyed in South Africa in other African markets. We certainly wish them well. Now, staying with fintech innovation, South Africa's first national bank showed off its new transactional banking application this past week. Uh, it allows users to make payments simply by tapping their smartphones at a point of sale. They're calling the functionality FNB Pay, 
and it will allow F&B customers to make purchases of up to 200 Rand or roughly $14 in value without entering their card PIN. Now, that limit is currently being set by the Payments Association of South Africa, no doubt to protect consumers from potential criminal elements who might look to take advantage of this new facility. Um, but uh, the maximum value is set to more than double in the next year, they say. And so this functionality is currently limited to a few pilot pay points around the country. And so to use it, F&B customers must have an Android-based phone that supports near-field communication technology. Look, basically, this isn't by any means a step forward for financial inclusion, uh, at least as far as the country's poorest are concerned. More a funky new way for the more affluent of us to to purchase chai lattes and freshly squeezed vegetable juices and such. Um, I, I do expect this technology will be piloted in the Pasha haunts around the country. So do let us know what you think of it as and when you get a chance to try it out. FNB clients, holler at us on Twitter at African Roundup. To Tanzania now, where you might be aware that the Tanzania Demographic Health Survey says that only 16% of children under the age of five have been registered by civil authorities. Now, to counter this problem, mobile telecoms operator Tigo is partnering with the Tanzanian government's registration, insolvency, and trusteeship agency, RITA, as well as with UNICEF to roll out an under-five mobile birth registration program. Now, the program has so far covered two regions, namely Mbeya and Mwanza, and is expected to cover an additional 10 regions, including Iringa and Jombe, the aim being to establish a sustainable model of birth registration that will service at least 3.5 million children under the age of five. Now, the program is bringing registration closer to the community by establishing more than 700 registration points at existing health facilities, as well as at community ward executive offices. Uh, in addition to that, 1,500-odd uh, registration assistants will be equipped with something like 800 mobile devices to aid the registration process. Now, this public-private partnership uh, is building on the success of registering over 400,000 children in Bea and Mwanza since 2013. It is crazy what we take for granted sometimes. In many respects, there's no right more basic than the right to an identity. We see you, fam. Now for some international news. Uh, is Google the new Apple? Well, that's the question some international tech commentators have been asking in the wake of Google's rather impressive Steve Jobs-esque product show-and-tell last week. And easily the most talked-about item they presented has been their snazzy new smartphone, the Pixel which seems to be packing the type of industry-leading innovation that we've typically come to expect Apple to deliver ever since they brought us the very first iPhone. Now, WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange uh, also chose this past week to give the world a heads-up about his plans to release damning dirt on Google in what he's dubbed an October surprise. Now, you've got to love how he's selling the upcoming leak the way a Hollywood executive would sell the next installment of The Avengers or something. Uh, but we'll just have to wait and see what the man has up his sleeve. And um, I wonder if he'll address the problematic search results that appear on Google when you search for the terms unprofessional hair and then compare that to what you find when you Google professional hair. Hmm, probably not. But you can be sure that we'll be keeping an eye out for Assange's expose. And while everyone's favorite news aggregator Twitter seems to be looking less and less likely to find someone hopelessly optimistic enough to buy the company, Facebook continues its march to total world domination with the launch of the Facebook Lite Android app in Kenya and Tunisia. Now, you might recall that Mark Zuckerberg initially launched Facebook Lite just over a year ago, promoting it as his company's attempt to, quote, serve people a fast experience on slower mobile networks and Android phones around the world, unquote. Now, Kenya and Tunisia are two of five countries around the world where the app was launched this past week. Malaysia, Sri Lanka, and Venezuela also in on the party. And the fact that over 100 million people have already downloaded the app since its launch last year suggests to me that Facebook is probably onto something with its teeny-sized app for the people, as it were. And that's not all they launched this week. Facebook also launched something called Marketplace, a service for users to buy and sell things in the UK, New Zealand, the US, and Australia, as well as a standalone calendar-based app they're calling Events. Uh, and that's not all, folks. That's not all. Believe it or not, there are rumors that Facebook is planning on launching free basics in the U.S. Now, I imagine this might be part of their plan to prove to those of us in the developing world that are distrusting of Facebook's motives uh, that whatever's good enough for 
you know, the poor, unconnected natives in uh, the developing world is no doubt good enough for the developed world as well. That's just speculation on my part. It's just rumors at this point. I don't see Facebook's competition in the States standing by to let that happen without a fight, though. But say, all you social networking slash messaging platforms out there, this might be a good time for you guys to start banding together. You know, to take on Facebook before you guys become MBA case studies for how not to get mowed by a blue behemoth, huh? How about it? And so to Ethiopia next, we're following the tragic deaths of 55 people in violence spurred by political unrest and the outpouring of grief that ensued. Public internet access has been blocked in many parts of the country. Now, Ethiopia is the second African country this month to resort to wholesale internet blockages in an attempt to quell anti-government protests. Earlier this month, the contestation of the re-election of President Ali Bongo in Gabon uh, led to violent clashes in that country, and the country's largest mobile telco, Gabon Telecom, uh, subsequently shut down the internet on their network, effectively cutting off access to something like 91% of the country's IP addresses. Meanwhile, according to media reports, a six-month state of emergency has now been declared in Ethiopia, and the internet blockage seems likely to continue as anti-government protests carry on and major roads in and out of Addis Ababa remain blocked. Now here's to hoping peace returns soon to both Ethiopia and Gabon. To Nigeria next, where the Chinese mobile device maker Techno is said to be planning to set up a manufacturing facility in Lagos. Now, Techno, now in its 10th year, claims to own 25.3% of the Nigerian smartphone market and now operates in 48-odd territories on the continent and in the Middle East. Nigeria, Kenya, and Tanzania remain its most important markets, and should the plan to build a Nigerian manufacturing plant come through, it would be Techno's second on the continent after the one they built in Ethiopia. Now, given the importance of the Nigerian market to Techno and how well they've so far performed there, there's no doubt they're keen to demonstrate their commitment to being a meaningful part of the Nigerian ecosystem in the long term. Nothing wrong with that, I guess. And so the last two or three weeks have been popping, as the young people say, in the VOD and content streaming space. Just this past week, the NASPA's own Showmax platform launched in Kenya and made a meal of the fact that unlike Netflix, which only accepts card payment, they'll be accepting payment via M-Pesa. And they've also claimed that Showmax is optimized for slower internet speeds. Now, two things are of particular interest to me here. Uh, First, the fact that Showmax is promising to provide functionality for people to view content offline. Uh, And then, of course, the rumors during the rounds that Showmax might be planning to team up with Safaricom to produce original content. Now, if that happened, I don't imagine it would be a stretch to think that they'd find a way to zero rate the stuff they made together. (laughs) That would definitely be a massive game changer. Overall, I foresee the gradual demise of the traditional public television broadcasting and cable television businesses uh, on the continent. It's no secret that major television channels across the continent, uh, as well as cable providers like DSTV, are feeling the pinch. And not just from VOD platforms like TV or uh, New View or iFlex or Iroko TV, but also from streaming platforms like RubyCube. Um, platforms like RubyCube are growing aggressively by harnessing innovative uh, business models. In the case of RubyCube, that involves getting Nigerians to watch ads online uh, to unlock free access to premium content. Meanwhile, incumbents like the Los Angeles-based Africa Channel are hoping that deepening partnerships with the likes of Comcast to provide VOD services will ensure that they survive and remain relevant into the future. Uh, And as we reported last week, big-scale players like DSTV and South Africa's Telcom are looking to leverage their scale and significant market access to encourage the uptake of their services. One thing that baffles me, though, is the Econet Group's commitment to launching its Quesi cable channels. It seems somewhat ill-timed given the global trends towards VOD and on-demand streaming in general. While I'm aware that launching a Quest VOD platform is definitely on the cards, in the interim, Econet is going head-to-head with DSTV in certain African markets by delivering content via set-top boxes. And Quesi is no doubt hoping that their recent partnership with the Polish digital TV devices and system software provider QBWare, uh, which of course is a subsidiary of the TiVo Corporation, will allow them to offer their subscribers access to PVR functionalities like you know, pausing television and lining up content such as series for catch-up viewing. You know, the kind of stuff that DSTV currently only offers to its premium subscribers. 
I'm not entirely sold on the continued viability of that model, but perhaps Quesia's feverish content creation efforts and their strategy of rolling out free-to-air channels over the first couple of years uh, might work in terms of setting them up to compete favorably when they eventually do launch their VOD platform. But another mobile telco making interesting moves in the streaming space, a little one called MTN, has quietly launched a short-form video platform called Pocket TV in South Africa. And so I caught up with one of the platform's co-founders, the digital video content creator and streaming evangelist, that is Julian Von Plato of Stream.Digital, to tell me more about Pocket TV and comment briefly on what he makes of digital content consumption trends on the continent. Take a listen. I think from a, a, a major media company, if you're not focusing on local, you will be dead in the water within five years, in my personal opinion. I had a conversation with Teton Yati some months ago, and he indicated to me that one of the, the challenges as, a, as an executive that he faces really around a lot of the changes that are coming is creating a sustainable model uh, around you know, the zero rating that needs to occur for for streaming to become, you know, to deliver this content to people at, in, in a way that they can afford. Okay, so simple solution. And maybe it's not a simple solution. <laughs> I don't run a mobile network, so probably not the right person. But, you know, compression technology these days compared to what it was even a year ago, where you looked at a one-hour movie or a two-hour movie was about 700 meg. You can compress that down to two to 300 meg now utilizing the latest compression technologies out there. And a a three-minute video, you can get down to like a meg, two meg. Now, if you're watching 10 of those, that's 30 meg. What's 30 meg on your data? Not a lot, and especially from a streaming, because remember what we do is we do a handshake with the device. We see what device it is. We see what video player you're using, and we deliver the appropriate sized byte content to your device. So I'm not sending you a full 1080p or 4K video to your little BlackBerry and sucking up all your bandwidth. I'm sending you a 240p video to your phone because that's what your phone can handle. So I think that becomes important. So I think the networks, and I'm, and I'm, I mean, I can't give away too much, but I know that the, the, the guys are working on different projects across the board, and I'm sure it's across all the networks, of where they're coming up with these sustainable business models for video streaming. Because let's be honest, video is the way to go. It's, it's a two-way interaction. There's a lot more that you can get out of a video. I mean, I'm playing a lot in the VR space at the moment, as obviously we've been playing together. And I mean, just in that space alone, I'm just seeing the reaction, even from the Samsungs of South Africa, when they see that VR content, they go, wow, you guys are doing some amazing stuff. It's a whole new world, and it takes it to another world. And I think the content creators, one, they have more opportunity to make money in the, in the mobile space than what they do in the television space. Remember, the other thing about mobile, I don't have to go make 13 episodes of a show. I give you one, we see what the reaction is, and we try another one, and then we try another one, which is, I mean, if you look at it in terms of what you guys are doing as well, we did a pilot. The pilot was received really well. We did a second interview, a second episode. That was received very well, and so we build it. But I'm not having to fork out millions of rands to create this content. And if you look at what's happening in, in, in the rest of the world, vlogging is the next big thing. Guys in the States have got bigger billboards than movies, and they're vloggers. They are making a killing, and we've got to be stepping up from an African perspective, creating good content. I'm not saying let's just go and create content and turn it into another YouTube chaos and a baby crying becomes the next big thing. No, I'm not saying that. I think we need to be intelligent. We need to set up tools for content makers and forums or whatever it is. I mean, we're working on, and that's one of the nice things in terms of what we're trying to do at Stream Digital is we're working with brands to create content offerings for brands. So you're finding ways now for them to communicate to the customer and also to their internal staff utilizing video because literacy is still a big problem. So video can combat that in a big way. So we need to look at all these kind of things and it's from an education, entertainment, edutainment, perspective from a video perspective and that's where i think video is going to change everything yeah, you definitely see uh, you know platforms like Eurocox x taking that that yeah. ruby cube um, they're doing some exciting stuff as well there's a lot of guys out there and i think it's about time we step up and we we develop an african youtube 
entrepreneurship environment so for content creators and i've met a lot of young guys around africa um in ghana and kenya and, and and all over the place in south africa right here that are young ambitious and they're making some incredible content but one they don't know how to monetize it they don't know where to put it they think by putting it on youtube they're going to make money you don't you've got to hit millions of views to start really making real money on youtube and i know some guys who are making some serious bucks out of youtube on, on their youtube channels but for the average guy on the road you know you've got to find people to watch Watch it, it becomes difficult. So work with the content aggregators, especially from a video perspective, that are there. And yes, I'm giving myself a plug here because this is what we do. But even in your own countries and find the right people and form an industry that we can build together, not a television industry, guys. I'm not talking about television industry. I'm talking about a mobile video content industry, which we've never had before. And we probably need like, you know, forums for this. We need rules and regulations for this because I'm sure they become important so that we get the right quality of content. And that's important. What's your advice for, for platforms? I mean, you're building one in Pocket TV. So, I mean, EPD, Iroko, New View, iFlex, what... What are you, what is your advice to local platforms that are looking to harness uh, everything you've just said? Well, look, I think the most important thing from a local platform perspective is you need to work with the telco. I honestly believe that. You cannot do this on your own. The one thing a telco gives you is infrastructure, it gives you customers, and it gives you billing. And billing is probably the most important thing we need from an African perspective. You were talking about the guys using M-Pesa as a billing. We work with, for example, with MTN, we use airtime for billing. So you need credit cards, PayPal, and an African situation is not the way to go. But so it's, it's about finding ways to reduce the friction for, for the consumer. 100%. And there's a great billing engine that I'm loving at the moment. I know it's not video, but it's just WeChat's whole new wallet that they've launched. And they reward you for buying and this kind of thing. And all of a sudden, you're using SnapScan as your actual no cash needed. It's just... That kind of concept, making it easier for people to buy things or to engage in things or to subscribe to things has to be the way to go. And your primary thing when it comes to any platform is, one, how do you monetize it? And two, how do you make it as easy as possible for the consumer to interact with it? Because if you don't have that, they're not going to watch. People are also – what we also need to realize is 90% of consumers are used to a YouTube model. Click, see what's like, similar, et cetera, et cetera, and watch the next video. And that's just the way it is. So we need to work within that environment but create – innovative and then that's where it becomes about the content you can have as many platforms and i think that within the next five years platforms will become ubiquitous because there will be millions and it's not going to be about the platform and where the power is going back to and i really really believe this the power is going back to the content owner cable um the ca- the cable networks they're in trouble so dstv and and your buddies around the world you need to fix you need to figure something out then there's obviously the massive uh, long-form VOD platforms, the Netflix, the the Showmaxes in our context. Um, I guess Eroka TV would fit there, and the and and they come with a, a totally different model that that requires licensing, um, long-form content, a, a significant amount of it, often uh, overseas content, as well as finding some of the best stuff locally, as well as making some of the best stuff locally, which is a complex and difficult process, but it must be done. And they obviously, uh, you know, the likes of Eroka TV are, are winning in some respect. Then there's this new wave that I that I'm really hearing you push in a in a much bigger way, which is being spurred by mobile. Yeah. Uh, uh, to, towards short form content and, uh, and, and towards creating platforms and harnessing all the talent that's kind of just floating around, not sure how to monetize, not sure how to make it happen. Speak directly now to a creator, a content creator, who's with the potential to create in any one of these environments uh, and, 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 and speak to how they need to go about or what they should go about. Uh, what should they concentrate on and why? I think first and foremost, you need the tools. Because if you don't have the tools, you can't create the content. And I think it's very important that you utilize the tools that you have at your disposal. If that's a mobile phone, use it. And use it to the best of ability. But make sure that you sh- when you're shooting content for mobile, also realize the screen that you're producing for. You must understand this is not a television, a 60-inch television, etc. You're literally sitting with a screen that's maybe the size of your palm of your hand. So your content needs to fit in comfortably within that screen. And it needs to be easy to watch and I think that's key you know and there's one thing I always used to say watching a Wi-Fi though on a television and watching it on a mobile phone is not the same experience 
I'm not going to see those beautiful shots of Hawaii on my phone the way I'm going to see it on a, on a UHD 60-inch plasma or whatever it is television. I'm going to see a very different experience, and it's not going to be the same. So when you're creating content for mobile, realize your environment. And I think that's very, very key to, to guys as well. And be straight to the point. The days of having a 30-second intro – Go away. One to two seconds. If you do not capture your consumer within your first 10 seconds of your piece of content, they will click on. Realize that the consumer of today is bored. (laughs) They want instant gratification. They're not prepared to wait. If you don't capture them within the first 10 seconds, they will move on. And that is vitally important in any piece of content that you create. And I think that's probably the most important lesson I can say to any content creator. Get to your point and make your story interesting for the device that you're aiming at. So I think that's vitally important. Long-form content in this environment, in my opinion, do you have time to watch a 20-minute clip on your mobile? No. No. No, we want to watch something that's up to three minutes so that we can move on to the next thing. You're sitting and waiting for a meeting. Cool, let me go quickly check out the latest sports news. You know, I think that's where the, the likes of a NASPAS and MultiChoice will, will always succeed because they've got the rights to the Premier League, et cetera, et cetera. And that's the type of long-form content we're always going to watch. I'm always going to watch my favorite football team. I'm always going to watch the Springboks or the Cricket or the Bafana Bafana. You know, I'm always going to watch that content because it's relevant as country, but it's going to be a two-hour game and so be it. That's, we, we accept that kind of stuff. And your big time television is your Game of Thrones, your HBOs, your Netflixes, and let them do what they do well. And I do believe there will be a Netflix South Africa kind of invi- uh, popping up out of this all. Uh, I'm not saying they're called Netflix, but do you understand? You know what I'm saying? The equivalent. The equivalent of a Netflix. Showmax hopes they're that. <laughs> well, if Showmax is it, then good. But I want to see content, the quality of Netflix from Showmax when they produce local. I want to see the Stranger Things. I want to see the Game of Thrones. And I know it's African, and I want it, but I want it local and I want it important to me and look um, multi-choice and Mnet have put up some great shows over the years and uh, shows that I've, I've been hooked on myself so I hope they get that right but I think they need to find the balance because I think the, the, the one thing is we're not a first world continent in terms of technology and television we don't have Wi-Fi everywhere and cable the way that they do in the States. We have mobile phones. This device is the device of choice for probably 90% of the consumers in Africa. You're not going to watch a movie on your mobile. If you are, let's create a new format, the 10-minute movie. And it's something we've actually been working on, is the concept of creating the 10-minute movie. Yeah, BuzzFeed is, is awesome at the, with their series, um, the series they create, and the cult followings they build around them. So, 100%. And that's one of the things, me personally, is one of the big drivers for me over the next five years, is to create this content hub for these kind of things to happen. I want to become that kind of new breed of Netflix in short form for the African market space, but short form. That is what I believe in is 100% long form. I don't have budget for that. (laughs) Let's put it honestly. We don't have budget for long form. We're about short form content. We're about getting a message and creating hyper-local content that's relevant to the guy in the street. If it's not relevant to him, he will not watch it. So tell me about Pocket TV now in terms of practically. How... Um, let's talk about how I access it, uh, how I access that content um, if I'm a user and how I get my content on the platform if I'm a creator. Okay, so as a user, you log on to MTN Play and we've got two channels up there currently, which is um, Pocket TV and All Sports, which is our sports news service. And effectively, you click on the button that says, would you like to subscribe at one rand a day? It's a double opt-in as per all the normal ECASA regulations and everything that you have to do. The person subscribes and they watch the content. It's that simple. We are looking at prepaid. Um, we're looking at bundled deals with data going forward. Um, it was our first month to test out how the service was going. And as, as, as I said earlier, we're overwhelmed by the response to the service, which just means that the market is looking for something and we haven't even launched our main content offering so what i am saying to to guys out there that have got content chat to us come um send drop me a mail julianapockettv.mobi chat to me if you have content look let's look at ways that we can monetize your content and we can create a platform for africa i was asked five ten years ago at a at a chat in, in in nairobi what was my dream and my dream is to create a youtube for africa that's what i want my ultimate goal is to have a piece of my content play on every single mobile phone in Africa. If I can do that, thank you very much. I'll be on the island. You can catch me with my long margarita and I'll be chilling. 
And so tell me, how, what's the model around monetizing for the creator? So from a creator perspective, we have a revenue share model, and it's a straight revenue share model. So you provide us with your content, and based on what the content is, it's kind of a pay-per-view. So if, you get, if somebody watches your video, we pay you some money. It's that simple. It's obviously kind of based on the amount of content owners we have, and we've got to be also be careful because what I don't want to have is to create an entire portal where I've got a million content prov- providers, and now we only get 100 views. <laughs> You're all going to get 0.0. 0.0.1 cent or, or that and I can also see like the just the admin exactly. of, of like administrating so I suppose the, the curation aspect That's of it is important for you so curation is vital so yes we're going to create and honestly curate and honestly if I don't believe the content is relevant to the MTN subscriber or to my Vodacom subscriber or to the Celsius subscriber I'm not going to put it on and this is across so okay in terms of scale this is mind blowing because this is MTN wherever MTN has a footprint Currently, we're starting in South Africa, but with our view is to take it across Africa. Um, we're working with some brands. Um, I can't tell you today, <laughs> but maybe next week I can finally unveil it. We are launching a major brand mobile TV channel in the next couple of weeks, which we're really excited about, and our aim is to take that across Africa, um, which, and it's, it's, it's focused on short-form content. So, yeah, I mean, our plan is to go across Africa. We currently provide, provide content, not on our platform, but into Vodacom Video Plays platform where we're providing them some content. As I said, we've got content on various networks, and most of the content we provide is customized for the network and to what their requirements are. You know, I mean, having had the chats with a lot of the the mobile telcos that are like dabbling in the space on the continent, I won't name names. Um, I have to say, many of them are taking the traditional approach to 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 creating content. And if they're listening now, they're probably rethinking some of their ideas because. Um, you might just outstrip them uh, by scaling fast, uh, by sp- scaling quickly and, and reaching places they, they might not because they've bogged themselves down with you know, old models. Yeah, look, I, I, don't, I don't proclaim to know everything, and I'm, I'm not saying that my way is the only way. But I do believe that in, in, in a market space that we are in in Africa, short form has to be the right way to go because, because of the way we live. And if you look at the taxi environment just in, in an African perspective. People spend a certain amount of, ta- of time on a taxi per day. That's not enough time to watch a movie, but it's enough time to watch a short Mobisode. Now, if you take, let's take a show like Generations. If all of a sudden Generations became a 10-minute show as opposed to a one-hour show, you could still get the same story across in those 10 minutes that you normally took to do an hour, and your budget cost would come right down. So think of it that way. I think we've got to think out of the box. If we're going to make this work, and to all those telco heads, hey, you want to chat to me? I'm available anytime. I'll even give you my cell phone number. <laughs> but seriously, we've got to change the way that we work. And I think the biggest problem for mobile operators, and it has been in the past, what has their biggest job been up until now? To sell mobile phones and airtime. Media is not a space that they're used to. So my advice to telcos is work with guys that understand the space. They want to, they want to build something. And leverage your, your scale and access to the market. Exactly. You guys sell phones. You guys sell airtime. These guys sell media. Let them help you build. Because my honest opinion, the next big thing is not an pass. It's a mobile operator in the media space because they own that customer. And they've owned that customer from a billing perspective and they own them from their handset perspective. Because the one thing we do, and I don't know how much they do in the rest of the world, but when you buy a contract, you get a phone with it. So they own you. That mobile operator owns you. So therefore, why not own them from a content perspective? And I think, you know, it's, it's, it's a very, very, how many mobile customers are there in Africa? I mean, if you look across all the networks, probably about 600 million actual customers in the African market. You get 1% of that engaging in your video content, I'm pretty sure you're bigger than Showmax. Wow, fantastic. Well, this has been an awesome chat. Thank you so much, Jules, as I call you. <laughs> Julian uh, von Plato. Many thanks to Julian of Stream.Digital and Pocket TV for sharing his insights with me. If you are a South African MTN subscriber, be sure to check out Pocket TV and let us know what you think of the platform. And then give us a shout on Twitter at African Roundup. And for those of you interested in getting in touch with Julian, you're welcome to email him using this address. It's julian at pockettv.mobi. That's julian at p-o-c-k-i-t-t-v dot mobi. And then do look out because during the course of this week, we'll be sharing the full chat I had with Julian on our Quick Chats playlist at africantechroundup.com and of course on iTunes as well as SoundCloud 
at soundcloud.com forward slash African Tech Roundup. Finally now, in the wake of the MTN Group being accused of illegally siphoning $14 billion from the Nigerian market, SNB has downgraded MTN's credit rating to junk status. Now, media reports surfaced this past week suggesting that MTN is now rethinking its long-standing plans to purchase Visa phone communications. Now, you might recall us discussing the merits of that particular acquisition on the show some months ago. Visa phone is pretty much a struggling business, desperate for a savior at this point. Um, you know, think Twitter. Uh, but um, its saving grace is no doubt the fact that it owns Spectrum Access that makes it a very attractive acquisition target indeed. Now, according to unnamed sources said to be close to the matter, it turns out that after previously greenlighting the deal back in December 2015, the Nigerian Communications Commission has had a change of heart and now reckons that if MTN is to purchase VisaPhone, VisaPhone Spectrum can't be included in the deal because taking control of that spectrum would unfairly increase MTN's dominance in Nigeria. Now, the deal initially valued VisaPhone at about 220 million US dollars, no doubt worth far less without that spectrum thrown in. And so I caught up with TechCabal.com's editor-in-chief, Bankole Oluwafemi, to chat about MTN's ongoing run-ins with the Nigerian Communications Commission and to give me a sense of whether he thinks MTN is being treated unfairly uh, by Nigerian lawmakers and regulators or simply suffering the consequences of abusing its dominance over many, many years. Take a listen. So, Lord Banks, welcome to the African Tech Roundup, man. Thank you for having me, Andile. Hey, 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 hey. So let's start with um, let's start with what's trending in your world right now. What's going down in Lagos? What is happening in Lagos? Everyone's keeping their eye on how the naira is doing to the dollar. And I mean, right now, at some point, we we thought it was not going to you know go beyond five hundred naira, but it has gone past five hundred naira, and everyone's just you know watching. I don't think anything. Can't surprise anyone at this point. You know, if it went all the way to 1,000 naira um, to the dollar, I don't think anyone will be surprised. But um, it does cause it is cause for significant concern. So okay, so clue us in for for someone who's new to this story. Um, uh, some months ago, uh, your president uh, basically declared that the naira would now uh, be subject to. To economic forces and uh, the, the the government would stand back and not influence its valuation. So, so give me a sense of what day to day, how day to day this would affect um, the the average citizen uh, in Nigeria. Uh, so, if you look at it from uh, from the point of standpoint that it's a very import import dependent economy, uh, it just quickly becomes clear how things play out. It's, it means that things become more expensive uh, for everyone. Uh, everything that is imported, the price goes up. Um, it means things are not available. Um, some things cannot be found to buy just because the people that were selling those things cannot either bring them in because it's not it's no longer uh, a valid business for them to be in considering the circumstances or uh, those things are just now more expensive than they used to be and uh, that complicates things um, significantly. Uh, from the perspective of startups uh, who have their costs, um, who have some of their costs, so, so maybe their HR costs are in local currency, but if they're you know, purchasing servers or software and these things are denominated in dollars, I know that every time my Apple Music subscription um, is deducted from my account, I cringe. <laughs> and, <laughs> like mercy. <laughs> uh, I cringe visibly every time I get that you know, debit alert uh, because that number just keeps going up. Uh, uh, and the banks are not smiling and, and, and all of that. Uh, I know the time when Uber was having difficulty charging uh, people because of the issues with the banks, it was a big problem because they were charging at parallel rates. You know, so they would debit you, uh, you would go for a ride that was, that you would get the price in Naira, but they would charge you in dollars, and it was insane. People stopped using Uber for a while, you know, until the banks corrected um, that situation, but yeah, that's the that's the situation. You know, so for import, um, it's a very import dependent economy, and people see the burn directly in the cost of things that they buy, especially the ones that have to be imported. And yeah. if your costs are in dollars, whether you're buying software or infrastructure or importing stuff, then it's uh it's really tough, and difficult. And remind me, is the U.S. Do- is the U.S. dollar legal tender in Nigeria? As in, can you can you can no? You buy with I mean, dollar? you can. If you go to like a high fancy hotel, yeah, maybe <laughs> you know, but no one's expecting you to walk around with dollars uh, uh, and, and spend as you would 
naira people spend naira that's what we spend um, okay. it's not but it's not yeah. like in south africa for example where it would be illegal to to transact in dollars um as opposed to uh in rands of, you know for day to day business uh, I think statutorily um, companies are required to bill in Naira. Right. Uh, so if you try to, you know, forcibly pay someone in dollars, I think you'd have a problem. But okay. it's not. It's not illegally. It's not. It's not illegal, um, strictly speaking. Right. Right. But I'm, I'm thinking long term, and I'm not an economist. So, but I, I'm, I'm speculating here that short term, there's definitely going to be a lot of pain. Uh, for for the man on the street, but I do imagine that over time, and this might be what uh, the government is hoping, uh, this might incentivize the growth of industries that might not otherwise have been uh, might not have otherwise grown in in Nigeria organically because of Nigeria's dependence on on imports. And that is spot on. That is in fact, um, and I was speaking to a friend uh, yesterday who's experienced in the enterprise um, sector. He does lots of work for banks and corporations and apparently there has been no better time to be a Nigerian technology uh, company because um, instead of outsourcing the technology needs and uh, um, critical infrastructure capacity requirements abroad, they are patronizing more and more uh, local developers, local software companies. And that also, I'm sure, is transitioning into other sectors where um, there is now increased demand for local products. So. Uh, long term, obviously, there will be the net benefit, and uh, I think we have all embraced the reality, and we're just going to, you know, ride out the, the 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 trend, you know, till we get to a point where it begins to ease out, and people can then see the light at the end of the tunnel. But you know, in the in the near term, there's a lot of pain. And since when have Nigerians not thrived <laughs> under pressure? <laughs> I, to be honest, like so, yes, you know, we do have that as a, as one of our hallmarks of who we are being resilient. Yeah. Uh, even though there's another school of thought that says that the resilience is is a sign of the fact that we are not ready to make sure things change. You know, so it kind of is a double-edged sword. Uh, resilience yeah. is a great attribute as a people, um, but it doesn't translate into being a doormat as well. People, um, we think, should be able to say enough is enough. At some point, we're not going to take. Uh, more abuse than we already have and begin to speak out and hold the people who are in charge accountable for their decisions and for the uh, for the plans going forward. That is a brilliant segue into what really got me, you know, on the line to you. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I, I obviously subscribe to your daily newsletter, uh, Tech Cabal, uh, uh, to Tech daily newsletter. And uh, one caught my attention this past week. Um, uh, the headline is NCC after taking the piss. <laughs> that is Osaramen, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so it wasn't your pen, but um, uh, listen. <laughs> I'm just throwing thing. him under the bus, you know. It's like, Are you just the... throwing him under the bus real quick? <laughs> no, but now speaking, I mean, the segue, you know, you, you created a, br- a brilliant segue because in his article, he, he does suggest that um, there's some misplaced resilience, as you put it, some misplaced resilience mm-hmm. when it comes to the Nigeria Communications Commission's uh, um, approach to dealing with MTN, uh, the, MTN uh, you know, the MTN group, and of course, the MTN Nigeria. Now, you know, let me tell you how I see it, and then you need to set me straight on, on what it's like out there and what it's, what's really going on. Now, from here, it kind of feels like Nigerians are are starting to, to realize that they can hold big business, uh, in this case big tech, to account in a way that perhaps they weren't free or able to in the past. And as someone who's a, you know, a big fan of, of Africa starting to take you know, its place, in, in, at least as far as, as controlling its own future, I, I support this fully. Um, mm. But then, of course, the headlines out here, you know, on, on certain outlets, certain outlets like Tech Central are such that, uh, you know, word is the, the massive visa phone acquisition that's been in the pipeline since 2015, apparently, where MT Nigeria has been planning to buy visa phone, no doubt, uh, you know, because of the 800 megahertz spectrum band that uh, visa phone currently owns or has access to, um, it, it seems now that might not go through because the NCC is saying, well, look, you're happy, we're happy for you to buy this company, but uh, don't think for a minute it's going to come with the spectrum. 
which to me sounds okay. <laughs> you know, at least in terms, it sounds like that's in the public interest, except um, is it? Uh, how much of what I'm saying is, is spot on? How much of it is only part of the picture? Uh, um, it's, it's a really tough one because half the time it's really hard to even understand, uh, you know, what is going on or what, what, what these people are thinking about. Um, a lot of the things that they do, uh, you, you cannot tell which half of it is arbitrary and which part of it is rooted in, in logic, especially as they have this tendency to, um, like we say, approbate and reprobate. So they will say one thing and then come back tomorrow and say, actually, you know, um, it wasn't um, it wasn't this way. It was actually that way. And you saw that same trend play out over the fine MTM fine saga, where they said it was some amount of money, but apparently somebody missed a couple zeros somewhere. So <laughs> now it's this amount of Oops. money. <laughs> Oops, sorry. You know, uh, uh, it, this is how much you know you have to pay now. And then they went back and forth, and you know they brought a court case, and then they dropped the court case. And uh, you, it's, it's really difficult to tell. And, you know, from the outside, when people are watching this, uh, you know, there is the whole consumer power narrative um, where, you know, we have, we've had companies abuse the rights of Nigerians uh, for, for, for many years just because, you know, they had de facto monopolies. Um, but with more competition and they now see that, you know, and more awareness, obviously, they... Uh, there is a bit of schadenfreude going on where they're saying, yeah, they're getting their comeuppance and all of that. Uh, but we need to, first of all, try and understand whose interests are these people actually uh, trying to protect. You know, is it is it that of the people or is it some rent-seeking motive um, that and is actually by, playing out these, here? By, by, and uh, when you say these people, are you referring to the Nigerian Communications Commission and indeed some of the uh, the, the members of, of Nigeria's Senate that are, that keep putting these, these motions forward to, to have uh, MTN uh, investigated. Absolutely, because you know, um, I mean, one time you know, it might you, you'd be like, yeah, you know, um, this company obviously needs to be called to order. But after a while, it begins to look like a like a witch hunt, especially if it looks like you know they feel like they can squeeze uh, the company <laughs> for more for for you know for for some more money. So like we're going to squeeze them now and then tomorrow we're going to say they they stole money and you know siphon money out of them and then next tomorrow we're going to you know, uh, it's a bit mafia-esque. You no, know, you know, so it, it does feel a bit mafia-esque. Um, it feels um, a lot like rent-seeking um, <laughs> to some extent. I don't think MTN is above board. You yeah. know, I'm sure that yeah. they, I'm sure they have a few skeletons in that closet. Uh, so it's basically this weird dance um, yeah. that is going on, and the people are in the middle, like trying to figure out what is going on here and whose interest is being served. I think eventually, ultimately, um, the Customers will emerge the winners, um, uh, one way or the other. Uh, it's, well, I mean, and I the, don't think. The, I mean, some of the some of the um, critics of um, some of the critics of how the NCC the NCC has gone about doing all of this stuff um, have have pointed to the fact that um, it might be shooting the country. It might be shooting the country. The country might be shooting itself in the foot in the sense that um, there's only so much stress and and uh, abuse that foreign investment that you can, players are willing can, to take before I, they take their money and, when, and their investments elsewhere. When you do look at it from that perspective, it does look you know pretty bad. Um, that is the problem that needs to be addressed: is the arbitrariness and and really you know at some point people are going to you know come out and ask them the questions and say. You posted a press release. Uh, uh, I don't. I, I'm not sure what date it is, but there's actually a, new, a release by the NCC itself um, where that particular deal was approved. Um, it reads. Uh, yes. Uh, now now you're referring to, deal, late... um, to 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 purchase Visa Phone, which naturally came yeah. with all its assets. Absolutely. You know, and and this was posted with January seventh, twenty sixteen. <laughs> Uh, you know, so you, you, you said that and then you come back six months later and then you just, um, you know, chain things up. And that is a very, it's a it's very, very bad signaling, you know, for people who are uh, looking to invest in, in, in the country. And that is where they're getting all the backlash and pushback from. And we're, we're all waiting to see how it plays out. But, you know, definitely it is a problem that needs to be addressed. Um, people are asking these questions. And, I mean, we can only wait to see. Uh, 
how it Look, all part of the reason eventually. why I'm, I'm quite willing to give them the benefit of the doubt to a limited extent is because I've seen, you know, Nokia taken to task. I've seen Standard Bank taken to task. It seems to be cross-sector. Tell me if you've ever seen corporations of this magnitude being held to this level of account by government. Um, it's it's a re- relatively recent uh, phenomenon. In fact, it's not just... Um, you know, in the corporate sector, it's also the government itself being held accountable uh, by people. Uh, I think 2016 itself has just ushered in a whole wave of more political awareness, more economic awareness. People now care about what's happening in the back room as, and, uh, and they don't believe the PR and the spin um, as much anymore. The official story by the government is not what people accept anymore. They will go and seek a second opinion from, the, from private media and even global and foreign media, uh, see what they're t- talking about to get a sense of how they should process uh, that information internally. So everyone's getting scrutinized. And definitely people are, there is the, there's, a, there's a group of people who are sharing the fact that Companies like MTN and all the big companies, the banks, the telcos are uh, coming under scrutiny. But on the flip side, people are also holding the scrutinizers, uh, also trying to scrutinize the, scruti- the, the scrutinizers as well. And you know, and say, you know, like, why are you doing this? Because this is huge egg on the face of the NCC. It's like, you know, you people do not know what you're doing if you. Uh, when you were approving that deal, did you not do the due diligence and make sure that all the terms were in place uh, and made, su- made sure that, you know, this was a fit and proper deal, you know, or, you know, why is it that at the 11th hour, at the last minute, some people can then come and table some objection and then, you like, throw everything into, into disarray? And if there are legitimate reasons why this deal shouldn't go through, then you need to transparently... Explain uh, what they are. Explain what they are, and then run that yeah. through the process so that it doesn't look like you can just do whatever you want, whenever you want, and wake up and you know make arbitrary decisions. And that's what people are asking for. Uh, your rationale has to be passed through a transparent filter that everyone can see why you're doing what you're doing. And if it's justifiable, you know, then I don't think people have problems with it. If it is something that will definitely skew the landscape to the point that it grants MTN an advantage that is going to be hurtful uh, to, to the rest of the sector and, you know, long-term translate to uh, bad deals for the consumers, then that is something that people need to know so that they can get behind it. Otherwise, you're going to spook the people and you're going to spook investors, and that's not good. So I had this conversation, a private off-the-record conversation with a, you know, a, 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 basically a chief executive of a major tech corporation here in South Africa. And, and he basically said, listen, buddy, off-the-record, you need to understand that um, governments are beginning to, to, to realize that they missed the boat uh, as far as mobile telephony was concerned. And, and now they're waking up to a, a world where... Um, some of the most important, most valuable uh, uh, data sets on 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 on, on, their, on their citizens are owned by these corporations. By, by these corporations, and they're looking desperately for a way to get in on the action. And I mean, look what you, what's happening in, in 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 Egypt with you know. Um, I haven't I haven't been privy to all the terms that they've proposed. For potential 4G license holders that, that they're trying to sell oh, right. to the highest bidder at the moment, um, but all the incumbents in Egypt have turned their noses up at at the at the offer you know that the government's put on the table because they they feel that the terms aren't aren't viable in South Africa. You've got ICASA, the local regulator, trying to to float the you know to auction the the 4G LTE bandwidth. Um, but constantly, you know, government coming to the table going, listen, we've got a social capitalist plan for how this should work. Um, stop it immediately until we've got our act together. I think, I think there's, a, there's a pain point that governments are trying to, to meet here, and, and I, I'm kind of with them on it, you know? I don't know, I don't know what you feel. Uh, from a public standpoint... Um, so who should own, you know, who should be the custodian of uh, information? You know, should it be the government? Should it be private corporations? And I don't know that there's going to be a great answer to that because none of them are without serious 
problems, right? Like the government has access to your information and they can track you and do all kinds of stuff, especially repressive ones. Uh, That's as true. We've seen. And I suppose I say this. <laughs> I suppose you know I have to. I have to admit that I say like that's the idealistic side of me trying to speak here because <laughs> try to you know so I, I, mean, I don't I how do trust. I feel about government the government having unfettered access to you know my information I don't know like these guys can shut down telcos and shut down WhatsApp and they do shut down WhatsApp whenever yeah. they feel like it it's true you know so um, you know, they, <laughs> right so it's really hard to root for one person. You know, and we obviously know that um, private corporations are motivated by one thing: it's gain and maximizing, you know, <laughs> shareholder. Oh, and profits. Uh, sh- and profits, right? Oh, you know, yeah, and and, 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 and gain. <laughs> you know, so so that, those, those are the, like neither, neither of these guys are the protagonist in this story, right? <laughs> the only protagonist here is the owners of the information. It's the public. It's people, and yeah. I, I I don't know. Like there is going to be a clean cut answer to that. Obviously, um, what I think that could be um, one way to look at it would be a balance. A 10 was one, you know, a way for them to check each other. But, you know, obviously, yeah. uh, nationalizing the infrastructure doesn't really make sense because then you're like stunting all of the opportunities. The government cannot, obviously, if, it's all, if the government could run the infrastructure themselves, they would, but they cannot. The government is incompetent at running, uh, you know, basic telecommunications or yeah. basic infrastructure. like. What the, the government's job is to make sure that the, the enabling environment is in place and You're allow the capitalists. Breaking my heart. Just listening to you is breaking my heart. <laughs> it's just breaking my heart. But you, you, you're right, but, you know, because someone you took need me to, to task put... this week because um, obviously I I mentioned that I'm sympathetic to to the government's cause here in South Africa to try and um, pretty much allow you know pretty much create a scenario where um, you know there isn't any one party or any. You know, that has unfettered access. access. Absolutely, you know. So they need to create, uh, you know, transparent and structured processes for ways for them to access information when they need to. Obviously, within prescribed um, conditions. So it's not, you know, I just walk in and I want to, I want to get a database of everybody in this province. You know, that that makes no sense. It has to go through uh, due process. And whereas also the companies also need to, there, there has to be. Uh, uh, you know, regulations about what they can do with information, how they can store the information, where they need to store the information, and the procedure for them making it available, uh, you know, to third parties, if ever, uh, and the government as well. You know, and it is the, the the work that needs to be done is articulating those frameworks. You know, I think that's what everyone's running away from. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, but I mean, what's the public sentiment on the street? You know, um, as far as MTN's concerned, are they? Uh, I mean, public sentiment has sort of swayed against mobile telcos uh, here in South Africa because of the the hashtag, you know, data must fall campaign. Fees must fall. Yeah. It's recently been overshadowed by by other protests um, that are happening <laughs> in the country. But but I mean, certainly no one's no one's crying any tears for the mobile telcos. I, if anything, I've I've been accused of being an apologist for the for the industry because I I have. T- I have to, I'm also sympathetic to how difficult it must be to be in the boardrooms of those organizations at this time, given all the infrastructure that they have to sweat and, and um, you know, given the shareholders they have to, they have to satisfy and mm. uh, given consumers becoming increasingly hungry for, for data at unprecedentedly low prices. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. So the thing about Nigerian consumers, and I don't know if this holds true in other markets, especially the ones that have... Uh, more than one dominant operate, uh, um, operator, um, probably one dominant and then a couple more, is that the consumer is remarkably fickle. And because, um, because um, in the beginning, many of the services were very subpar, people got used to the idea of owning more than one SIM card or basically being subscribers to more than one network. So the, the mobility is very high. Uh, uh, Internetwork mobility, you mean? In, n- Internetwork mobility is very high. Right. Um, it's not even. It's not even a question of them. It's not even a question of number portability. It's the fact that people always have backups of backups. They they have number redundancy, not right. portability. Right. So if their glow is not working, they will switch to MTN. If the MTN is not working, they will switch to a Uh So they really do not care for the most part. 
uh, what happens to one telco. All they care about is when they want to call someone, there's a line available for them to do that. Now, MTN owns close to 50% of the market, and if for some reason they were to go under, it would cause a lot of pain. Uh, and I don't think that people would, you know, uh, come over to their side of the story or come over to their uh, to support them if they if they don't realize the if if it wasn't an existential problem like if they if they, if there were no real business consequences or communication consequences to it uh, most people just think I have glow it's a lot anyway you know so I'm I'm just going to pour it. but I think there's only so much punishment you can inflict on uh, one company before the public begins to wonder hey why is it just that company <laughs> yeah you know, no I, I totally get you <laughs> at the same time I I can definitely see like the PR wheels uh, over at MTN in action. I think they are definitely trying to conscientize the market to, listen, guys, there's only so much pain we can take. Um, we we want to make it work. Heck, and they have, they have tried I mean, to be they, they have even you know, agreed we're to... Gonna to your, we're going to list your stock exchange. They did agree to, to list on the Nigerian Stock Exchange, didn't they? Yeah, they did. You know, They've been doing all these things to try and stay in the good books um, of the regulators and the people and all of that stuff, you know, the the NCC removing the floor price on data has created this massive data arms race where everyone's creating all these fabulous plans and they haven't, they're, you know, they haven't slacked out on that either, but none of it seems to be enough, we would see, you know. There, there seems yeah, to be someone who yeah. believes that there is more blood that can be drawn. And, yeah. you know, again, if the blood can be drawn legitimately, if someone has done something wrong, uh, if they haven't followed the due process, then by yeah. all means, I think... <laughs> you know, uh, people should be held accountable. But then again, the question fundamentally is, you know, whose interests are, are these serving? Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you so much, man. Uh, Lord Banks, you've been a fantastic uh, guest. Many, many so thanks to Bankole Oluwafemi of techcabal.com for giving us the Lolo on that MTN versus the NCC situation. The man's certainly worth following on Twitter, folks. His handle on there is at Mr. Bankole. And so that's it for this week, guys. Uh, But once again, we'd like to remind you of all the convenient ways you can access all the content we produce here at the African Tech Roundup. Head straight to africantechroundup.com to check it all out. Uh, You can also find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or any other good podcatcher out there when you search for African Tech Roundup or African Tech Conversations. Also, do yourself a favor when you visit the site, sign up for our weekly newsletter to have all the latest podcasts sent straight to your inbox. And now before I sign off, the team and I would like to express our heartfelt condolences to all those who have lost loved ones as well as homes and livelihoods in the recent storms that swept through Haiti and the U.S. Our thoughts and prayers are with you all. And to all of you in the U.S. who are still in harm's way, please stay safe. And to the rest of you listening, here's to hoping you're able to join me again next week, Monday, on africantechroundup.com at 9 a.m. Central African time. And so that's it from me, Andile Masu. Until next time, do take care, Africa.